0: Welcome to Wild Speculation, a speculative fiction anthology podcast. I'm Andrew Rising, your guide on this journey through the strange, wonderful, and sometimes disturbing worlds of speculative fiction. The next stop on our journey takes us back to a time of gods and giants, when two civilizations clashed for control over the land that had belonged to the Canaanites. We will take this possibly historical legend and look at it from a different perspective. So sit back, consider the humanity of your enemies, and enjoy. The Giant's Last Day The Giant lay awake, staring at the roof of his tent. He could barely see where the pole held it up in the pre-dawn light sifting through the flaps. It was big, big enough for him to stand upright in the middle, Most Anak warriors had to share their tents, but his masters wanted their champion to have one to himself. A perk of being the best. Still, he wished he was sharing the tent with his wife. Having Donya's body close to his while he slept, and waking to her loving smile, was far better than sleeping and waking alone. Life was always better when he was home with her and their children, in their little house in the slave quarter. He smiled as he remembered how she laughed every time he bumped his head on the lintel, calling him her clumsy titan. He'd never tell her this, but sometimes he bumped his head on purpose just to make her laugh. Life meant something then. But when the master said it was time to march, it was time to march. So the giant and his sons were here, ready to fight the enemy, while Donya was back home with their daughter, being kept safe to ensure his obedience to his masters. He imagined Donya at home, tending to their garden and teaching little Miti. He closed his eyes and pictured her. Donya was the daughter of a free woman and an Anak slave. She was tall, taller than most men. They made fun of her, and not a man among them would even consider betting Donya ducks a lot, let alone wedding her. This bastard daughter of a slave was a freak. But not to the giant. To him, Donia was the most beautiful woman in the world. Though she was much smaller than he was, she wasn't as fragile as other women who seemed like they'd break if he touched them. And he could lose himself in her beautiful green eyes, so rare even among the masters. He loved how she had the dark, curly hair of the Anakim, but with the paler skin of the master's. Just the thought of the contrast of that skin against his own darker complexion when he held her close made him smile. It reminded him of the bright flowers of the acacia tree against its dark leaves and branches. The giant had surprised himself when he found the courage, or perhaps the foolhardiness, to ask Donya, a free woman, to be his wife. He had been even more surprised when she accepted. She knew it meant she would be living in the slave quarters for the rest of her days, and that her children would be slaves. But she told him that she would rather live as a slave and be loved than to live free and be scorned. And in the twenty years since, they had been happy when he wasn't called away to fight in the pits or in battle. They had tended a garden together behind their small hovel and the giant loved the feeling of cultivating life rather than taking it. She had given him three strong sons and a beautiful daughter, each birth wonderful but bittersweet, since they all must serve the masters. The giant thought back to his last night with Donya before he left. He remembered the sight, touch, smell, and taste of her. Desperately, he wished she were here now. Time to get up, you big oaf, yelled a guard through the tent flaps, bringing the giant back to the present and the job he had to do. He groaned. Come on, it'll be dawn soon. The captain wants you armed and ready at first light, so be quick about it. If I have to come back and wake you again, it'll be with whip in hand. The giant sighed. Time to get back into that damnable bronze oven they called his armor. He had worn it ever since the masters had named him their champion, making him the main attraction in the fighting pits and the representative of their army in single combat challenges. It was beautifully wrought, much better than anything the rest of the Anak slaves wore. Still, he hated it. Wearing it always reminded him that his life was not his own. And for the last ten days, the heat had made his armor physically oppressive as well while the rest of the master's army stayed in the shade of their pavilions, eating, drinking, gambling and whoring in full sight of the enemy. He had to cook in the hot sun, shouting himself hoarse. As he finished dressing, his son Saf came to help him don his armor. Father, will one of those cravens fight you today? The boy asked as he fastened his father's breastplate. I don't know, Saf. Ishbi says that they will have to soon, or else their food will run out. Your brother is probably right. He likes listening to the captain's talk. Grab my greaves. When you kill their champion, how will you do it? Cut off his head? Put your spear through his heart? Or maybe just break him with your hands? The giant looked down at his son sadly. This was Saf's first battle, and his head was filled with the tales of the glories of war just as the masters wanted. Though only twelve years old, a boy, Saf was as big as most men. If only Saf could have stayed home with his mother a little longer, but that was not for a slave to decide. When the masters decided a son of Anak was ready to be a soldier, he was a soldier. Any resistance would mean death for the slave and suffering for his family. Chances are I won't have to fight anyone. They haven't fought me yet, and what would make today any different from yesterday? His son handed him his helmet. I hope they do send a champion today. I have wanted to watch you fight for years, father. The giant put a hand on his son's shoulder and silently prayed to whatever god would listen that Saf live long enough to trade his battle lust for caution and understanding. As they left the tent, he sent Saf to his brothers and the other Anakim in the shade of the slave pavilion. No need for both of us to be marching back and forth under that sun. I'll call you if I need my shield. The giant made his way to the command tent. As he walked he could feel the eyes of the other soldiers on him, his fellow Anakim, foolishly jealous of his position as champion, and the free soldiers, whose faces held looks of contempt and amusement. Those eyes made him feel so alone, even in the crowded camp. "'Ah, there you are,' said Melek, one of the generals. "'Took you long enough. Shovel down that food, then get into position, you big oaf. The sun's about to rise.' "'Yes, sir,' the giant picked up the large bowl of porridge. "'Are there any messages for me? I was hoping to hear from my wife.' "'The sooner you finish this business, the sooner you can go home and hear from her there. The longer you take—' the more likely some other big elf is hearing from her. Melek sneered up at the big man, as if daring him to lash out. The giant looked down at the general, anger welling inside him. He was half again as tall as this man and could break him with his bare hands. But, tempting as the prospect was, he knew anything he did to this man would be returned to him, his family, and all the Anakim a hundredfold. So he simply bowed his head, put down his untouched porridge, and took up the position from which he started his daily routine. As he waited for dawn to break, he considered Saff's question about the enemy and their still-absent champion. Why didn't they send someone? Were they waiting for a champion who was yet to arrive? Were they hoping he would wear himself out with his daily march, back and forth, back and forth? If his son Ishbi was right and the enemy was short on supplies, waiting would only hurt them. Better to take their chances now, or give up. When the first ray of sunlight broke over the eastern horizon, he shouted his now-wrote challenge. Men of Israel, I am Goliath of Gath, son of Anak, champion of the Philistines. We need not shed much blood this day. Send a champion to fight me in single combat, and the winner shall claim the victory for his king. One of you... Come fight me. Are you men or sheep? Everything fell silent. The masters stopped their feasting. The soldiers stopped their talking. Even the birds stopped their chirping. The giant smiled. Even after weeks of this, his booming voice still had the ability to command the attention of every living thing nearby. No reply came, so the giant began his daily marching, back and forth in front of the master's camp where the enemy could see him, occasionally shouting out his challenge and silencing the world for a moment. As he did so, he thought back over his time as champion. He had fought dozens of men, both in single combat to decide battles, and in the fighting pits of Gath for his master's entertainment. Opponents had been from many nations—Moabites, Egyptians, Assyrians, Phoenicians— He had once fought a strange man who said he was from a place called Hellas, all dead now. He had killed them for the masters he despised, the masters who had his wife and daughter. Though he hated it, he knew he would never stop killing for them. He could still picture the faces of so many he had dispatched from this world. There will be one more face to haunt me if this enemy finally sends out a champion. He glared over at the masters' pavilions. As usual, they were feasting. Far better supplied than the enemy, they wanted to flaunt that fact in order to goad the enemy on. Or at least, that was the reason they gave for their daily gluttony. The giant suspected it was just an excuse to gorge themselves. Trying to ignore the rumblings in his stomach, the giant continued his march. Should have eaten that porridge, no matter what General Malik was saying. About mid-morning, the giant issued his challenge again. Instead of the usual moment of silence afterwards, a strong, clear reply came from the other hill. I am David, son of Jesse, champion of King Saul and the Israelites, and I accept your challenge, giant! The giant started in surprise. A champion had answered his call. He turned to the slave pavilion to call for Saph, but his son was already running over, shield in hand. Quickly, Saf strapped the shield to his father's arm. "'Crush him, father, so that today we can celebrate a great victory.' "'No, son. I fight when commanded and kill when I must, but I will never celebrate a death at my hands. These people have done nothing to me. This is the Master's War. It will be their victory. We are weapons in their hands to be used and discarded as they please.' Before his son could reply, the giant started down the hill. When he was halfway down, he looked up and saw that a young man who looked only a few years older than Saff was standing, watching him from the opposite slope. The boy had a staff, but no sword or armor. The giant frowned. Boy, do I look like a dog to you? You cannot chase me off with a stick. The giant hoped the boy would take fright and withdraw. He did not want the blood of one so young and ill prepared for battle on his hands. What were the Israelites thinking? Come here. I will offer your eyes to Dagon, your tongue to Baal, and your little hands to Anath. Only after I have cut those from you will I slowly pull your guts out. I won't kill you, though. I'll leave that to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Or, if you have the brains the gods gave a goat... You will run home to your mother and leave the fighting to soldiers. But the boy stood steadfast. Raising his clear voice, he called back, You come at me with sword and spear, but I come at you in the name of Elohim Sabaoth, God of the armies of Israel, whom you have challenged. Today he will deliver. The giant stopped listening and shook his head. The boy was a religious zealot. He knew the type. They somehow managed to be fearless despite the odds, and often ended up dead. There was only one thing to do now. I'll make this as quick and painless as possible, the giant muttered under his breath as his young opponent finished rambling about his god. The rules of single combat were clear. One champion had to die. He would kill this boy, but there would be no honor in it. The giant began picking his way down the hill to meet the boy. The hillside was rocky and the soil was loose, so he had to choose his footing carefully. The giant knew that sound. A sling! Before he could raise his shield, the stone struck him hard and fast in his right eye, whipping his head around. Red pain lanced through his face and neck. Raising his shield, he stumbled back, trying to steady himself as his ears rang and his sight went in and out of focus. He realized he could only see out of his left eye and reached up and touched his face, feeling warm, sticky blood, and where his right eye should have been, only torn flesh and pain. Despite the blood and pain, he laughed. Maybe the boy isn't as ill-prepared as I thought. After this, the masters will have to find a new champion. They can't very well hang all their hopes on the fighting prowess of a one-eyed man, now can they? He felt strangely light-headed, and not only from his injury. His sight blurred and flattened, the giant watched the boy and his sling. If the boy thought to gain advantage by fighting long range, he was in for a surprise. The giant could throw his eight-foot spear as well as any man could throw a javelin. Or he could when he still had both eyes. Now he struggled to take aim, and failed to see the loose stone in front of him as he stepped forward to throw his spear. The stone rolled underfoot, and his ankle wrenched to the side. Before he could recover, he was falling down the hill. He tried to break his fall, but with his shield strapped to one arm and a spear in the other hand, it was impossible. Unable to stop himself, the giant bounced and slid, rolling helplessly until his head struck a rock near the bottom. For a moment, everything went black. But only for a moment. When he regained consciousness, the giant took stock of his situation. His head hurt, and he was dizzy. If it weren't for his helmet, the crack on his head probably would have brained him. His left arm was useless, still strapped to his shield, and he lost his spear. His right leg felt like it was stabbed through with a thousand hot knives, starting at his ankle. He was pretty sure his toes on that foot were pointing in the wrong direction. His one working eye was covered in mud and he could barely see. The giant tried to push himself up with his right arm, but sharp pain shot up through his right leg, It was definitely broken. He would not be able to get back up without help. "'This is where I die. This little boy has killed me.' He felt a strange relief. Now that he faced it, the giant found he didn't fear death as much as he thought he would. The masters couldn't reach him in death. He could finally rest. His had been a hard life, but he had lived longer than most Anakim. Why did he need more time?' He had already known joy beyond anything he would have ever dreamed possible thanks to his family. His family. He might be free, but the master still had his family. They'll use my death to motivate my sons to fight this enemy. This will not be the end. The masters will violate any treaty they make here as soon as it's convenient, and there will be rivers of Anak blood spilled in their wars. As long as the Anakim were slaves— His sons would have to fight and die at another's whim. And Donya and Mity, what will happen to them? For the first time since he was a child, the giant wept. When he heard soft footsteps approaching, he guessed it was the boy come to see if he was dead. This was the end. Might as well be quick. Use the sword, the giant tried to say, but it came out a hoarse whisper. He could hear the boy shuffle back a step before saying, What? The giant cleared his throat and tried again. Use my sword. It'll go quicker than your stick or sling. A swift downstroke to the back of the neck should work. You want me to kill you? The giant started to laugh, but it turned into a cough of pain. No, boy. But one of us needs to die if we are to prevent any more bloodshed this day, and I'm in no condition to kill you. My sons are in that camp and I want them to live to see tomorrow. So let's end this. The boy didn't respond, but a moment later the giant felt him tugging on his sword, pulling it from the scabbard on his back. Goodbye, Donya. I'm sorry. If there's a life after this one, I'll wait for you there. You made life in this ugly world worth living. I love you. Thank you for listening to The Giant's Last Day. If you have enjoyed this episode, be sure to watch for the next one, in which we will visit the island of Manhattan after an apocalyptic event has ravaged its residents. I'm Andrew Rising, and this has been Wild Speculation. Until next time, let your imagination run wild.